What's up everybody, it's Pastor James and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. It is hard to believe that Easter has come and gone, but it's not surprising due to the fact that the older I get, the faster time seems to go by. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. But I hope you and your family had a great Easter weekend and enjoyed worshiping our risen Savior together. Today I am recording in my office as usual, but the problem is is that there is a construction crew out in our sanctuary doing some work. So if you hear some noise on this, ignore it. It's just the crews doing work, and um, hopefully they won't disturb us too bad. But today we're still in Matthew chapter 20, and we will be beginning in verse 20 and reading through verse 28. So Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. Let's read this together and get started. It says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? he asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. And Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials and flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, it isn't surprising that we have a mother who has meddled her way in and requested a favor on behalf of her children. I've never met a real mom that in some way has not sacrificed herself for the good of her children, and the mother of James and John is no different. Uh, it is important to know and understand that their mother was an avid and faithful follower of Jesus. She has been around since the, since the boys started following Christ. She's been right along with them. And obviously, she felt comfortable enough to come up to Christ, uh, before to kneel down before him, and to ask him this favor for her two sons uh, while her two sons are standing right beside her. Now remember, Jesus has three times already told the disciples about his death and his resurrection. He has constantly communicated the fact that the first will be last and the last should be first. But yet again, um, it just seems like it goes in one ear and out the other. It just goes right over the top of their heads. They just do not get it. They do not understand. And yet another request is made for certain disciples to have positions of honor and to be elevated over the other disciples. And, and this was a common thing. And during this time, positions of honor were given by those in authority. And, and at least James and John and their mother and, and all the other disciples knew in their hearts that Jesus had the authority to give these positions to whom he chooses. But it just isn't that simple. So, yes, Jesus had already mentioned that there would be thrones, and as it was recorded in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, they, they would have thrones, and the disciples would be sitting on these thrones and, and helping him judge the nations. But the question is, is where would each person be placed? Because it's not just good enough that all 12 would have a throne. They all need to be placed on special thrones with giving greater honor. And it was not good enough for these disciples 
to have already been chosen to rule with Jesus in eternity, but they still needed to be elevated above the others to make themselves feel better. This is a perfect example of how people can sacrifice everything to follow Christ, live for Him, and yet still have enough of the world in them to mislead them in their understanding of godly things. I mean, you have to think about this. The disciples keep asking for positions of honor, and Jesus keeps telling them that it doesn't work like that. You are thinking about things from a worldly perspective. In eternity, things do not work as the world does. And so Jesus immediately responds to this request with, You do not know what you are asking. And that in itself should be a very alarming reply. Anytime uh, that someone requests something from someone else, um, they are acknowledging that that person has the power to give it. And then when that person with the power to give you something replies, you don't know what you are asking. The person with the power is making the request or, or is trying to let you know that there are strings attached to this that you don't realize this. And the person making the request, they should be alarmed. But many times, people are not alarmed because they think, no, I want this and I can take whatever comes with it. And so, if someone who has the power to give you something, if they don't say no, then that means that they're not opposed to giving it to you. But when they say, wait a minute, you don't understand, I'm not denying you, but you don't understand what it's going to mean for you to have this, there's always more there than meets the eye. And that can be dangerous sometimes because we all like to think that we are willing to do whatever in order to get certain things. But when it comes to it, we very much are not. And, and Jesus follows that statement with, you don't understand what you're asking for, with the very important question that would determine whether or not they would even be considered to sit in those positions. And the question is, are you able or willing, I put that in parentheses in my Bible study, so, so are you able or willing to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? And you have to understand this, Jesus' life is about to come to an end. Okay, um, um, we're in the final days of his life. The final, it's less than a week now. Um, and so Jesus was about to endure the worst possible suffering that anyone could imagine. He would be taken to the point of death in multiple ways, multiple facets, and yet they would stop torturing him, stop doing what they were doing because they wanted him to live in order to continue to torture him. And so even, you know, when you think about the lashes with the cat of nine tails, they stopped one lash before because at, at so many lashes, there it was considered that someone would die from that. And so they stopped early so that they could continue to torture him and beat him. And so he was taken to the threshold of death only to be kept alive, to be suffered, to suffer more and to be tortured more. And, and James and John, they claim to be more than willing to suffer but even they don't understand what's about to come. And maybe maybe they were willing. Uh, they might have been absolutely committed to the bitter end in that moment in time. And many of us, with all of our hearts and minds' knowledge and what we believe, there are times where we are absolutely committed to something in that moment. But then whenever it is revealed what it actually takes, 
you know, we may backstep or backpedal a little bit and try to weasel our way out of things. But because of their willingness, Jesus said that they would indeed drink from this bitter cup. But even though they are going to drink from that cup, those positions are not Christ's ability or his right to give away in this moment. It is God's. Now, this is super important to understand and, and, and to kind of wrap your mind around because Jesus is God's Son. And from what we believe about the relationship between Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is that all of them are God. They are, they are different parts of God, but they are all God, and they make up the Trinity, and, and they represent, like Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, represents different facets of the Lord. And the tricky part is understanding that there are a couple of things that are kept from the authority of Jesus and belong specifically to God the Father. One of those things that I can mention right quick is the day that Jesus is going to return, his second coming. Jesus said, even the Son of Man does not know uh, the day upon which he will return. That is up to the Father alone. The other is where the disciples will sit on those thrones. And Jesus just says that. He says, those positions are not mine to give. God has already chosen. God alone has prepared those thrones, and he's chosen who's going to sit on them, and only he knows where those people are going to sit. And this is kind of tough to remember sometimes, and yet it's also important to remember that while Jesus is on earth... He has not yet accomplished his task in completion. Okay? I mean, like, he has done everything perfectly thus far. But Jesus still has to suffer. He still has to die. He still has to resurrect himself from the dead. He still has to rally his disciples up in his last 40 days on earth. And then he must ascend into heaven and bring about the coming of the Holy Spirit to fulfill all things in God's plan. Now... In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples, he tells them that all power and authority on earth and in heaven have been given to him at this moment. So it's at this moment when Jesus has risen from the dead and he appears to his disciples and he's rallying them back to his service and to go out and build the church and build God's kingdom it's at this moment that he is telling them, look, I have the authority. Okay, so before his death, Jesus was still somewhat limited until his task was complete. And then once he has died and been the sacrifice for our sins and, and conquered death in the grave, now Jesus has complete power and authority both on earth and in heaven. And now it could be that those thrones are his to give away, but the disciples didn't seem to be too concerned about asking for those thrones in Matthew 28, even though they're asking for them now. So, as you can imagine, when the other ten disciples found out about James and John and their, and their uh, meddling mother, uh, they were not happy uh, when they found out that mommy swept in to pull a favor for her boys. So, the disciples were irritated and annoyed. Uh, they felt that it's unfair that they would try to do this behind everyone else's back. And, and Jesus he understands and he calls all the disciples together and he tries to bring unity back to them. And guys, you have to remember today. You must remember this. This is so important 
especially when you deal with the body of Christ. And even inside family units, okay? So if this is just like husband and wife and children living in the home together, where there is selfish ambition and personal desires, there can be no unity. You with me today? So you may have dreams and, and desires, and you may not feel like they're selfish. You may feel like what you dream and what you desire may benefit your family greatly. But where you have selfish ambition and personal desires, there can be no unity. There can be no peace in a group of people where someone is the slightest bit selfish in any way because in order for you to get what you want, other people will have to suffer and give up things in order for you to get it. You with me today? I just want to I I share that with you. In order for you to get what you want, other people will have to suffer for you in order for you to get it. The more money you get, the less others get. The more stuff you get, the less stuff others get. The more food you get, the less food others get. The more fame you get, the less fame others get. The more recognition, the less for others. You you get the picture of where I'm coming from today. So the disciples, surprisingly, were no different than many of us even today, uh, the other, even the other ten, they were not angry that what James and John did was wrong. They were probably more jealous that they might get what they asked for, and that you know the disciples who weren't there whenever Mommy asked for this favor may not get the positions that they desired. And so, we have to understand and, and acknowledge today that there are selfish desires in each of our hearts that, that we all want position, we all want title, we all want more money. Um, you know, we would. there's many of us who would like to be famous or recognized, not, maybe not famous, but recognized for stuff to, to be successful. Like, we all want things like that. But that is a very dangerous game to play, and this is why Jesus is trying to bring his disciples together and bring unity back to them at this very last moment in the last couple days of his life. So, Jesus has a crash course session of spiritual unity in God's kingdom. And he tells the disciples, the rulers of this world uh, is basically what everyone else wants to be. You see the rulers, you want their power, you want their authority, you want their wealth. Like, that's normal, okay? We want what other people have. This is one of the reasons why coveting Wanting what others have is one of the Ten Commandments. It is a very natural desire. It's a very sinful desire. And when they get their authority, when people get authority, Jesus said they lord it over others and they flaunt it. But with Christians, it must be different. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus said you must be different. If you want to be a leader, you must must serve other people. If you want to be first, you must become a slave to other people. And perhaps... One of the greatest verses in the Bible, verse 28, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said about himself, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't know about you, but that is very humbling and convicting to me. I don't always have the attitude of a servant or a slave in my service to the Lord. I, I see that, I understand that, and it's something I have to remind myself of 
constantly to, to make sure of asking the question, am I serving others? Am I serving Jesus? Am I trying to elevate myself or am I trying to elevate others? And that's probably something that we all need to work on in our everyday life. All right. Well, let's read uh, verses 29 through 34 and let's finish up the chapter today. So it says, As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road, and when they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them, but they only shouted louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. And Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes, and instantly they could see, and then they followed him. All right? So it is very important to note that these blind men called out to Jesus and referred to him as the son of David. And as we've said before, this is a messianic title, and it's important because they were willing to give Jesus his deserved recognition as the Messiah and a descendant as uh, a descendant of King David. They identified him as who he was, while everyone else during this time was still really terrified to say this in public. But these poor blind men, they were willing to do it. And if you look at them, they probably had very little to lose. Most people weren't going to pay him much attention. I don't know about you guys, but just uh, punishing a blind person uh, who is suffering and, and begging for stuff constantly just doesn't seem very befitting of anyone. So they don't have a whole lot to lose, but they're willing to give Jesus his glory and honor on earth. That's important to understand. They were willing to give him his due credit. What's interesting about this is that the crowd tries to suppress them. We don't really understand why. Uh, perhaps the men were already annoying on a daily basis as they didn't seem to really care what people thought. Uh, we don't really know for sure. It doesn't really say anything, but they obviously didn't mind begging. They obviously didn't mind screaming to the top of their lungs. They obviously didn't mind being a nuisance. And, uh, but it only caused them to shout louder as the crowd tried to quiet them down. And finally, their pleas reached Jesus. Once Jesus heard them, he was willing to heal them. Uh, he wanted to because he felt pity for them. And when Jesus touched them, they were healed, and then they followed Jesus. And, you know, there's not a whole lot to this passage. There's not a whole lot to really dig up here and look into. But one fascinating thing about this passage is, uh, is that although it seems pretty clear-cut and straightforward, we probably have not considered that this is the last time that Jesus would publicly do a miracle in the presence of the crowds during his ministry. Um, this is the last time he heals someone in, the, in public. Now, I say that because uh, from the accounts of, I forget which gospel it is, it's not in Matthew. In Matthew, it talks about Peter or one of the disciples slashing off uh, a priest's servant's ear. Um, and while that's the case, it doesn't record Jesus healing that person's ear, but in one of the other Gospels it does, and I can't remember which one it is at the moment. So it's not the last miracle that Jesus does, but this is the last miracle of Jesus' ministry, where he is out in the crowds, he has great people, great numbers of people following him, and he heals these blind men, and this is the last time that Jesus is going to do this. So even as Jesus is 
getting ready to go to his death. Actually, he is traveling to his death in this moment. Um, his life is coming to an end. He, he's leaving Jericho. He's leaving this town, and he is actually headed to Jerusalem. So when we start in Matthew 21 next week, Jesus will uh, have his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, it's amazing that in this moment, in his last days, instead of being worried about himself, Jesus still loves random hurting people, and he's willing to heal them. These poor men who are blind, he still loves them, and he's willing to heal them, and he still pities other people, even though he's about to go to his own death. He has less than a week to live, and yet he's still serving the poor, the hurting, the broken people who have nothing to give back to him other than getting up and following him on his journey to his death. And so, as we close out today in this Bible study, you know, I just want to ask you guys uh, this question. Are you willing to drink from that bitter cup? Are you willing to get up and follow Jesus? And is what he has done for you good enough for you to follow him to the bitter end? And those are some good questions to contemplate today as we finish up. You know, it's like there comes a point in time where we have to we have to evaluate our spiritual lives. We have to evaluate our life, physical life, spiritual life, and our relationship with Jesus. And when I look back on my life um, and I think about all the things that God has done for me, how He's protected me, how He's helped me, how He saved me, the sins He's forgiven me for, I would like to think that I would be willing to drink from that bitter cup, that I would be willing to follow Jesus anywhere. And that I would be committed to him to the bitter end. In this moment right now, I say that, and I, I hope that I, I that I am, that if it ever came to the point where I had to give up my life for Christ, that I would be willing to do that because of everything that he's already done for me. He is worthy of that. He, he, is, he is enough. And for some of you out there, I hope that you can look at your life and evaluate whether or not you would be willing to sacrifice all in the name of Jesus Christ because of what he's already done for you. And for those of you who have not given your life to Christ completely yet, give your life to him. Give it up for him. Follow him. And then allow him to work and move in your life. And I promise that you won't be disappointed. And one day down the road, you'll look back and see that he's very much worth anything that he could ever cause to give up. All right? Let me pray for you and I'll let you go today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day and for the opportunity to read your word and to talk about it. And God, I pray that you would use your word to speak into our hearts and lives, that it would change who we are, that it would change our desires, it would change our motivations, it would change our relationship with you. Father, help us to be committed to the bitter end. Help us to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you, and to be willing to sacrifice anything in the name of Jesus Christ because he is worthy of it. Help us to be servants. Help us to lead others by serving them and trying to elevate them rather than elevating ourselves. Jesus, we love you today, and we ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you this weekend on campus, and if not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. We'll catch you guys soon.